Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our mission at Grace Bible Fellowship is to magnify the glory of the triune God in Christ Jesus by proclaiming God's word to advance the gospel in our lives and the world. We base who we are and what we do on the good news of Jesus. If you would like to find more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, you can visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. I'm so thankful you've come here to listen to God's Word proclaimed as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. I invite you to take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 25. Exodus, chapter 25, this morning. In a moment, we'll start reading in verse 31. We'll be in three different spots. We'll be in Exodus 25, 31 through 40, then we'll jump over to 27, verses 20 and 21, and then we'll end in... 37, 17 through 24. Your bulletin just has all of those put together in one chunk, so if you want to follow on that, feel free to do that as well. But now that you've got settled for a few moments, would you stand with me as we read God's word together? Exodus 25, beginning in verse 31. You shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be made of hammered work, its base, its stem, its cups, its calyxes, and its flowers shall be of one piece with it. There shall be six branches going out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out of one side of it, and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side of it, three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on one branch, and three cups made, with, made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on the other branch. So for the six branches going out of the lampstand. And on the lampstand itself there shall be four cups made like almond blossoms with their calyxes and flowers, and a calyx of one piece with it under each pair of the six branches going out from the lampstand." Their calyxes and their branches shall be of one piece with it, the whole of it a single piece of hammered work of pure gold. You shall make seven lamps for it, and the lamps shall be set up so as to give light on the space in front of it. Its tongs and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made with all these utensils out of a talent of pure gold, and see that you make them after the pattern for them which is being shown you on the mountain. Now Exodus 27, 20, and 21. You shall command the people of Israel that they bring to you pure beaten olive oil for the light, that a lamp may regularly be set up to burn in the tent of meeting, outside the veil that is before the testimony. Aaron and his sons shall tend it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to be observed throughout their generations by the people of Israel. 
Now finally, Exodus 37, 17 through 24. He also made a lampstand of pure gold. He made the lampstand of hammered work. Its base, its stem, its cups, and its calyxes, and its flowers were of one piece with it. And there were six branches going out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out of one side of it, and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side of it, three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on one branch, and three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on the other branch. So for the six branches going out of the lampstand, and on the lampstand itself were four cups made like almond blossoms with their calyxes and flowers, and a calyx of one piece with it under each pair of the six branches going out of it. Their calyxes and their branches were of one piece with it. The whole of it was a single piece of hammered work of pure gold. And he made its seven lamps and its tongs and its trays of pure gold. He made it and all its utensils out of a talent of pure gold. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. To the one who walks among the seven lampstands, who walks among the churches, who walks among this church, your lampstand, give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to your church, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Is anyone home? It's a common question. And we could mean it in a couple of different ways. We might mean it of an individual. It's an expression to which we refer to another asking if they're with it, if they have it together, if they're cognizant, if they're connecting and communicating in a normal way that humans do, if they are focused and concentrating? Are they able to string words together and sentences together in such a way that's meaningful that you can carry on a conversation? And so you might ask, was anyone home? No, no one was home, meaning they were out of it. Things didn't click in their mind. They were maybe zoned out, not tuned in to their surroundings. You might even say about that person, they were a few fries short of a Happy Meal, or they were missing a few marbles, or the elevator does not go all the way to the top floor. They are not the sharpest knife in the drawer, or the lights are on, but no one's home. We might use this question another way. Is anyone home? We might ask it when we actually come to someone's house. Maybe you show up unannounced. We didn't let the people know that we would be showing up on their doorstep. And there's one way that we know if they might be home or not, particularly if it's dark outside. Are there lights on? Is anyone home? The lights being on usually is a surefire way to know if someone's home, if it's occupied or not. 
And there is something that when we go to a house and the lights are on, it gives us confidence to be able to approach the door. Confidence that someone's going to answer. The lights being on actually invite us in, but if it's dark, if there are no lights, we are much less confident. Well, I'm going to knock on the door, but I don't think anyone's there. If it's dark, no lights, much less confidence. There is something comforting and reassuring to the human psyche about light. We tend to gravitate to light. Light helps us. People have even turned to light for healing purposes. The comfort and reassurance light provides was even capitalized in the advertising business by Motel 6. Do you remember their slogan? We'll leave the lights on for you. It was meant to draw people to stay at Motel 6. (laughs) Wow, they really care about us. They're going to leave the lights on for us. No one wants to come home to a cold, dark house. You want to come to a warm, well-lit, and inviting house. It provides security. It makes you feel at home. What might we then expect when we come to the very dwelling place of God? What might we expect in his tent or his tabernacle? What might we expect of the God who is called the God of light and whom the Bible declares God is light? Yahweh instructs that there must be a light source in his tabernacle. What good news for Moses, the priests, and all the Israelites. The light is on and God is dwelling among his people. What comfort, what security, What hope? The light of the Lord is shining before the people in the tabernacle of Yahweh. And what was this light source? It was a lampstand. A lampstand made out of pure gold. And not just a little bit of gold either. The lampstand and all of its utensils were to be made out of a talent of gold, which could be anywhere from 55 pounds to 75 pounds. It's no small amount, no little amount of gold. And this lampstand of all of this gold was to be of one piece. It was hammered work. The only other hammered work that we've been told about so far is the golden cherubim that were on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. The lampstand is the next object of hammered work where it would be fashioned into a particular shape with specific ornamental shapes that make up the lampstand. The lampstand takes the the form and shape of what we might call a menorah, a Jewish lamp. We see it has a base, a stem or a thigh and trunk, cups, calyxes, and flowers. You can see this depiction, that little picture there on your notes, of what it it might have looked like, and we should say that this is an artist's interpretation. It's not exactly what it looked like, but close, and at least give us an idea of what this lampstand would look like. And so from the stem, from the center of the lampstand, there are six branches that go out of it and up, and these 
branches, three on one side and three branches on the other side. On each of these branches, there are three cups. And these cups are made to look like almond blossoms. They each have a calyx. Maybe as I was reading, that word tripped you up a little bit. Calyx, what is that? You probably don't use that word much in your everyday language. Calyx is the very base of the bud or the flower. So sometimes you might see it in little petals that come out at the bottom or the base of the bud. That's the, the calyx. So these cups, these almond blossoms, had these calyxes and these blossoms that came up out of the cup. And on the stem, the centerpiece of the lampstand, there were to be four almond blossoms. These were to be fashioned on the center stem right beneath each pair of where the branches met and went out. And then at the end of each of the branch, there was to be a lamp. So seven lamps make up the entire lampstand. And remember, as we read Exodus 27, we are told about the oil that's to be used in the lampstand. It was to be a pure, beaten olive oil. That is as an expensive oil. Olive oil could have been expensive anyways, but to make it pure would have taken extra effort and extra work. Basically, you take a mortar and pestle and you have to continue to crush down the olive more and more until you get this fine, clear oil. It was expensive, it took time. And so as the Israelites were to give this pure olive oil for the lamp, it was to burn clean and pure in the tabernacle. That's the kind of oil that was to be used to light Yahweh's lamp. A pure oil. And the priests were there to tend to the lamp from morning till evening, or evening till morning, to make sure that the lampstand was regularly or perpetually burning. Why, however, did Yahweh command there to be a lampstand in the tabernacle? Was it merely for practicality? You know, if we make this tent, it's going to be really dark inside, so maybe it'd be a good idea to have a light source in there. Was it merely for practicality? Is that why God did it? The priests can't serve me in the dark, so they need to see, so let's put a lampstand stand in there. I think it's more than just practical convenience to have a lampstand in the tabernacle. The lampstand is of spiritual significance. It tells us something about God. It tells us something about ourselves, and it tells us something about this world. The lampstand and its spiritual significance is actually something that we cannot and must not live without. So why do we need it? Three reasons why the lampstand is so important for them and for us. Number one, the lampstand's light promises life. The lampstand's light promises life. Do you ever think about how much of your life depends upon light? And whether you are aware of it or not, your life revolves around light. When do you wake up? Normal people, maybe you're not normal, but normal people wake up in the morning when the sun rises. 
And then when the lesser light, the moon, begins to shine at night, the sun sets, we know that it's time to go to bed. The end of our day has come. Light is also what enables us to see. We don't often think about light enabling us to see until we lose the light and we say, I can't see. Everything that we do and so much of what we can do is enabled by light. A life without light might be hard for many of us to imagine. But how does the light of the lampstand promise life? To answer this, we have to look at the form and shape of the lampstand. We know all of the particulars as a stem or it's also this idea of a thigh or a trunk. That's the idea of the stem in the middle. And then what does it have? Branches. And what are on the branches? Almond blossoms, flowers. Take a step back for a moment from the lampstand. And what do you see? You see a tree. You see a tree. Particularly, you perhaps see an almond tree because it has almond blossoms on it. Tree is a sign of life, a sign of vitality. Some even suggest that perhaps the lampstand could be in the tabernacle to recall the tree of life that God placed in the Garden of Eden. Whether we know that with 100% certainty is difficult to say, but the fact that it's shaped like a tree and an almond tree cannot be denied. And trees are meant to signify life. What a promise that God is making to his people. Since God is light and that, that light promises life, the people, of God's, the people of God will have their life sustained and protected and made productive by this light that stands before them. When God gives light to his people, it's God giving life to his people. The lampstand represents God's life-giving power. This is what we need. This is what all mankind needs, the life-giving power of God. Without it, we have no life. Without it, we are undone. No God, no light, no life. And so the light shining from the lampstand declares our life depends upon God who is light, and who gives light so that we might live. And so as we look at the lampstand, as we look at the lampstand in our condition of knowing that we face death because of our sin, the lampstand gives hope. Hope that there is life. And that life is not generated by you or by me. It's not generated by anything that's in you. It's not generated by anything that's in me. It's given by God. The promise of your life, the promise of life even beyond the grave, the promise of eternal life is not dependent upon you to generate it or make it happen. It's given by God as a gift. Because there is no way that you or I can generate the kind of life that we, we need. There is no way that we can give it to ourselves. 
There is no way that we can make it happen. There is no way that we can bring that promise into a reality ourselves. It's a promise that God has to fulfill. And so the lampstand's light promises life. Number two, the lampstand's light overcomes the darkness. The lampstand's light overcomes the darkness. Listen to what it says in Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. What's it going to take? What do we need? Darkness is over the face of the deep. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light. That's the answer. The answer to the darkness that was hovering over the face of the deep, God provides the answer when he speaks for the very first time recorded in scripture. Let there be light, and guess what? And there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Darkness was not allowed to remain over the face of the deep. The darkness was exposed, the darkness was repelled, the darkness would not rule, but light would rule. Even with day and night, a greater light to rule over the day and a lesser light still to rule over the night. Darkness didn't prevail, light prevailed. And it's built in the very fabric of creation. So that when you wake up in the morning, light prevails. When you go to bed at night, light prevails. There is never a time in creation as God has built it, even now, even in its fallen state, when light doesn't prevail. He made the day. He made the night. He separated the light from the darkness. And these two cannot be mixed. While the Lord created light and made the light prevail, this is what Adam and Eve knew in the very presence of God. They knew light. But when Adam and Eve sinned, when they transgressed the law, his law, when they did what was right in their own eyes, in a sense, a spiritual sense, they plunged the world back into darkness. Here is the fall of mankind. Here is the curse that is upon the whole cosmos because of the sin of our first parents. Here is the broken, fallen, cursed world that we know, the world everyone has known who has ever lived since that day in the garden. And the lampstand tells the story of what God is doing in the world. It says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. But this world has been covered again by darkness because of the curse of sin and death. 
that's on it because of the fall of mankind, because of the fall, Adam and Eve, all people are now born into a state of sin and misery. Think about that statement. All people now are born, that means you and I were born into a state of sin and misery because of our first parents. That is the life of darkness. That is a life of misery. And this is what the Israelites had known all the way back in the land of Egypt. That is the life that every sinner knows apart from God. But the good news is that that is not the end of the story. God's light will prevail. God's light will not be overcome by the curse of the world or the curse of darkness. His light triumphs over this world and its darkness. His light dispels the darkness. His light exposes the darkness and crushes it. Victory, triumph, light declares God wins. Rejoice in the light that has overcome the darkness. Do you ever feel like the darkness is closing in? Do you ever feel like the darkness is getting darker? Do you ever question in your heart of hearts, in your mind, will light prevail? Really? It doesn't look like it sometimes. It doesn't feel like it sometimes. If your mind this morning, your heart this morning, feels like it's being crowded out by darkness, come again afresh to God's light. Come again afresh to know that darkness will not win or prevail. God's light will overcome the darkness. And we experience it every day. We cannot live in this world and not know what it is to run into darkness. But Christian, dear Christian, how do you respond when you come into darkness? How do you respond when it it, it crashes into your life? Do you remind yourself again of the light? Hope. The light overcomes the darkness. Number three, the lampstand's light promotes the glory of God's presence. The lampstand's light promotes the glory of God's presence. We cannot escape it, nor should we want to escape it. So far, with the Ark of the Covenant, with the table and the bread of the presence, and now with the lampstand, there is a reoccurring reality that we are faced with. The very presence of God, the almighty God, the infinite God, the holy and righteous God, the creator God, the eternal God, the self-sustaining, the self-existent God. He is the one who is dwelling in their midst. God was with them. Yahweh is living among his people And he is located at the very center of their camp and their lives revolve around him and his purity. What happened if the Israelites were unclean? 
go outside the camp, wash yourselves and be clean, and then come back inside the camp. Why? Because God was holy and clean and pure. And those who dwell with him in his presence must be clean and pure as well. Their familiarity with God was not to breed contempt. Think about that. You have God dwelling in your midst, in the middle of your camp. Every day you see the tabernacle. Every day you're reminded that God is there. And with that, they would become so familiar with seeing that, but that familiarity was not to breed contempt It was to breed more worship, more honor, and more praise to him as they loved him with their whole being. Here is the lampstand, another reminder that the glory of God's presence was shining in their midst, and that it was a glory that would never go out. It was a perpetual glory. The priests were there to make sure the lampstand was burning, that the lights didn't go out. Why? Why? To remind the priests and the people that God hadn't left them. Here is the lampstand lighting up the inside of the tabernacle. God is in his dwelling place. You never had to ask, is God home? The lamps are burning. The lights are on. Of course God is home. And the lamps are burning all night long. What does that tell you? He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Psalm 121, 3 through 4. You might go to sleep. You might turn out your light. You might turn off your lamp. But God's light never stops. God never goes to sleep. God's constant and perpetual presence brought the security that his people need to know that he would never leave them, that he would never forsake them. As they remained faithful to the covenant, he would watch over them and keep them and protect them. Why? Because they bore his name. Turn with me in your Bibles to Numbers 6. This is the part of the sermon where we're going to do a lot of turning in our Bibles. So just be prepared. But it will be worth it. Number six. Aaron and his sons were to speak a blessing and actually set the name of Yahweh on the people of Israel. And here's the blessing that they were to put upon them. Number 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to do what? To shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Setting God's name upon the people was setting the light of his glory, the light of his shining face upon them so that they would know his greatness and so that they would know his glory. The lampstand was only to represent 
God's light. God is light, and he does shine upon his people. And when he shines upon his people with the countenance of his face, it brings blessing and glory into the lives of his children. I've left something out. Up to this point, I've left out the how. How does the lampstand and the lampstand's light promise life? How does light overcome the darkness? How does the light promote the glory of God's presence? How does Yahweh accomplish all of this with a light? Take a look at the lampstand again. All of this from a lamp? It seems too great, it seems too wonderful. We might think to ourselves, there's no way that this is going to happen, it's impossible, but what God does with his light is the most miraculous, supernatural, amazing thing of all, and he does it in two ways. First, the lampstand is a pointer and a picture and a shadow of Christ. If we just look at the lampstand, we will be disappointed. But if we look beyond the lampstand to what the lampstand signifies and represents, it is then and it's only then that we see the miraculous Savior, Jesus Christ. This is why John speaks this way. Gospel of John chapter 1. Get your fingers ready. Turn with me, John 1, verse 4. This is talking about Jesus. In him was life, and the life was what? Was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus Christ is the light that has come into the world, who is the light of life. And what does it say then in verse 14? And the word became flesh and dwelt, or tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What an amazing truth that John gives us about who Jesus Christ is. He is the light of life. He is the one who gives that life. What do we have before Christ? We have bodies of death, people who are controlled and dominated by sin. We are slaves to sin before Christ. But as the light, he comes in the world to overcome the darkness. This is why we need to go to John 8. Look at John 8 for a moment. John 8, verse 12. Context here. Jesus is about to say something at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. 
At the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles was a celebration of how God had provided for his people in the wilderness. And at the end of that feast, they would have these giant, massive menorahs that they would put in the courtyard of the temple. Giant, massive menorahs, giant lampstands in the court of the temple. And then Jesus says this, John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but what? But will have the light of life. Do we see what Jesus is doing? He is the light who gives life to the world. Just as the Israelites followed the light in the wilderness, so now all who follow him will have the light of life. And that's why it's very important what he says next in John 12, 35 and 36. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Jesus being the light means that we must believe in him. For believing in him is the only way to be saved. Believing that he is the light that will lead us out of the darkness. He is the one who will save us from the darkness. It's the only way to receive the light of life is when one believes in Jesus and in Jesus alone for their salvation from sin and death and hell and God himself from his own wrath. Jesus as the light first and foremost overcomes the darkness that is in us. Turn back a little bit to John 3 verse 19 through 21. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. We sing about these truths. I once was lost in darkest night and thought I knew the way. There are really only three kinds of people in this world. There are those who think that they know, but they don't know, and they are fools. Do not follow them. There are those who don't know, and they know that they don't know, and so they are ignorant, and so you must teach them. And the third is the ones who know, and they know that they know, and they are the wise, and so they are the ones to be followed. Here, we follow the one who is the light, Jesus Christ, and so while we sing, I once was lost in darkest night, but thought I knew the way. Though we sing, long my 
imprisoned spirit lay fast bound by sin and nature's night. We were those who once sat and dwelled and rolled around in the mud of darkness, but God, by his eye, diffused a quickening ray. We rose, the dungeon flamed with light. Our chains fell off, our heart was free. We rose, went forth, and followed thee. This is a salvation that God gives to his people, a salvation that revolves around the light of Jesus Christ. Do we glory in this kind of salvation that has come to us from our great God? Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Domain of darkness, that was once our state, delivered, redeemed, transferred into the kingdom of his beloved Son. Our sins have been forgiven. No more domain of darkness. That's not our life anymore. Or what about 1 Peter? Turn there. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That what? Why has God made you to be this people? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Dear brother and dear sister, do you see that excellency that it's been wrought in your life where God has called you out of darkness, called you when you were smothered in darkness, called you when you were dead in darkness, called you out of that darkness, and called you into his marvelous light? Why would we ever stop rejoicing in that excellency? Is it ever because we don't think the light is that marvelous? This is what we must be proclaiming. The light is marvelous. And Jesus is calling sinners out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's where we want to be. That's where we want to be living. And that's where we want everyone to be living in this light. No more darkness. Or what about 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6? Second Corinthians 4, verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the image. This is the picture. Just like at creation, when God said, let there be light, Paul is now saying, this is what happens in everyone who believes. God speaks into their darkness. God says, in your heart and in my heart, let there be light. And guess what? Where there was only darkness, 
covering the face of the deep in our hearts, there was now light. And why? So that we might have the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. We might have a knowledge of God's glory. And where do you get that? In the face of Jesus Christ. In the blessing of salvation that he gives to you. And so the lampstand points us to Christ. But we move from Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. Listen to those words. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. To what he teaches us in Matthew 5. So again, Matthew 5, turn your Bibles there. See this. Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. Remember Jesus said, John 8, I am the light of the world. Now what does Jesus say in Matthew 5, 14? You are the salt, or sorry, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. How did that happen? Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and now Jesus says, you are the light of the world? We are the light of the world because we follow the light and because we have the light, because God has put his light in us. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. A city on a hill that lights up so that people say, people are home, people are there. I need to go to that city where the lights are on. It's inviting. I need to be there. There's security. There's safety there. No one takes a light and a lamp and puts it under a basket. Did you ever sing that song? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. If you're a little boy, you love the second verse. Hide it under a bushel. No. And as a boy, I would yell that loud. Hide it under a bushel. No. You usually don't get to yell in church. Maybe I yell too much in church. Do we ever make excuses for why we hide the light? You know, it's just easier. I just don't have the time There's other things that are more important. Yeah, I know. Hiding under a bushel, no. But maybe I, maybe I just need to do something else. We need the resolve again. We need the commitment and the devotion 
again. There are things in this world that would try to eliminate the light, that would try to hide the light, that would try to put the light out. We know that. In fact, I would say those are the easy things to fight against. It's much more difficult when you are the one that's trying to hide the light. Let us not put our light under a basket, but let it give light to the whole house so that many may see our good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. That's what the light does. It produces good works. Works not done to earn us some favor with God, but works as a result of God's favor that he has given to us. Works that ultimately point people to him. They want to give God glory because they see the light in us. How are we going to do this? Revelation 1. Revelation 1. I'm almost done. Revelation 1. Verse 12 and 13. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lamp stands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Then verse 20, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And so what's the picture? Seven lampstands which represent the seven churches, which I believe represents the complete church of God. Seven is a number of completeness. If these are seven menorahs, seven lampstands that have seven lights on them, seven times seven, it's a perfect picture of completeness. And where is Jesus? He's standing in the midst of the lampstands. Why is Jesus there? What did the priest do? in the tabernacle, in the temple. They tended to the lampstands. They made sure that the lampstands 
We're burning. We're shining. We're glowing. What is Jesus doing among his lampstands? Among his church? He's tending to his church. He's saying, if I am there in your midst, I am going to make sure that your lamp doesn't go out. Dear brother and sister, we need Jesus Christ to tend to his lampstand. Because without him tending to his lampstand, not your lampstand, not my lampstand, his lampstand, without Jesus tending to his lampstand, the lampstand will go out. The lampstand will be snuffed out. The lampstand will be undone. Church of Jesus Christ, we need Jesus Christ more than ever to tend to his lampstand right now. Because what happens when Jesus tends to his lampstand? How do you know that Jesus is tending to his lampstand? The gospel goes out. The gospel goes out as we do good works. The gospel goes out as we speak the good news. And what happens as the gospel goes out? The glory of God goes out with it. And so the glory of God begins to cover the globe as the waters cover the sea. We can't shine without Jesus tending to us. And our reliance must be upon him. And let us hear this warning now in Revelation 2. Verse 5, or verse 4, Jesus speaking to the church in Ephesus, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Was the problem with Jesus Christ not properly tending to the lampstand? No, the problem was the love of the lampstand. The lampstand loved the wrong things. It was the affection of the lampstand that wasn't loving what it should love. You have abandoned your first love. You have abandoned the love of Christ. And so because of that, there's the threat that their lampstand is going to be removed. So what do you do? If people come into my office, a married couple, and they say, you know what, the spark is just gone. I don't know if we love each other anymore. You know what I tell them to do? What this verse says, do what you did at the first. Remember when you wooed your wife? Do those things again. Church of Jesus Christ, what should we do? Do the works that you did at first. Go back. Go back to the beginning. Go back to your love for Christ and shine for him. And then, and then, when people look at the church, the answer to the question will be obvious. Is anyone home? Is anyone there? The light is on. The Lord is there, and the glory of God will shine the brightest.
until that day when we are finally at home. Revelation 21, 23. And the city, this is the new Jerusalem, has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. How great and mighty and glorious. Tend to us, tend to us. Today we pray our Savior. Tend to us as your lampstand. Rekindle the flame. Don't let us go out. We need Jesus Christ. We need to go back to our first love to him. We need to remember our devotion and commitment to him and him first. And we need to follow the light as Jesus, our Savior, is the light. Let us not walk in darkness, but let us be children of light. And help us to expose those things that are done in darkness, help us to expose those things that would go against your church. Help us to say, the light is what we need, and it is all that we need. And with his light, we do not need to fear that we will ever be overcome by darkness. Father, if there's someone here today who does not know you, who does not have the light, who does not know the light, that today they would, in one sense, hear you calling them out of darkness, saying, do not live in darkness anymore. Come out, come out. Come into this marvelous light, Jesus Christ the Savior who died on the cross to save us from our sins, the Savior who was buried in a tomb for three days and rose again from the dead, the Savior who is alive forevermore, granting faith and forgiveness to all who call upon Him. Father, if there's anyone today who does not have Him, may they call upon Him, believe in Him, turn from their sin, and be given the gift of eternal life. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.